listening to SBS On The Money with Ricardo Gonsalves. Your daily 10-minute business and finance news wrap for this Wednesday, the 13th of September, 2023. Later on Market Day, we'll speak with Francesco Destratus from Audmanet for the day's market action. But first, to Apple, which has complied with the European Union mandate to make all smartphone and tablet charging and data cables universally compatible by 2024. So it's switching away from its own lightning cable technology on its new iPhones to a USB-C one. What is it? What does it mean? And what does it mean for you, the user? Trevor Long from EFTM. He is a technology expert. I spoke with him. Trevor, first of all, what exactly is a USB-C cable and what is it used for? Yeah, it's a great question, actually, because a lot of people probably are hearing this and thinking, what's the difference? So we've had many iterations of USB. The first was USB-A, a a very square or rectangular large block that is pretty much still around in many ways. Then there was USB-B was a different smaller one, but USB-C became universal. It's It's quite small, little oval shape. Um, with no visible uh, little prongs or, or um, connectors on them. It's just a very simple cable, reversible, so it can go in either way, very easy to not get wrong. And a, a few years ago, it became the norm for a lot of consumer electronics. So headphones, laptops, and many other smartphone manufacturers adopted USB-C um, as their way of charging their devices. It was an easier uh, plug than what we had before it, which was USB-A or micro USB. So what exactly are the advantages of it? In, in simple terms, uh, there's a couple of things. Firstly, it's reversible, so it's really easy for someone to use. You can't kind of get it wrong. Uh, secondly, it has a great data throughput. So um, if you think of the old, and I'm talking five years ago, little USB plugs that we had, they actually couldn't transfer data very fast, so it has much faster data throughput. And the same with power. So these days, We want so much from our phones. There are companies like Oppo and uh, Samsung also that want to be able to deliver essentially a full recharge of your phone in half an hour. And so it can handle high amounts of power and that throughput allows you to get a faster charge. Okay. So most smartphones use it. Most devices use it, as you mentioned, but it's not compatible with Apple's iPhone because that iPhone, the older iPhones anyway, requires its own lightning cable, which is Apple's tech, I guess, until now, because the new iPhone is cap- is compatible with this USB-C, right? That's right. So original iPhone in 2007 used the wide, th- what was called a 30-pin adapter that came from the iPod. Uh, and then in about 2011, 12, when they launched the iPhone 5, they went to this lightning, this proprietary Apple technology, which was at the time revolutionary. It was reversible. It was fast. It did a lot of these things. And what's happened is Apple has essentially been pushed towards this decision by the European Union. Um, so basically, every iPhone from today, the iPhone 15 onwards, will have USB-C so that someone at home with a set of headphones or their partner's phone that uses a different uh, is a different brand, everyone will be able to plug into the same cable and charge their devices. Is a USB-C better than a Lightning cable? I think it's a really tough question to say. I think Lightning is and and was a great connector. Um, Probably there's some advantages to USB-C in that data transfer. So if you've got the the highest end iPhone 15, which is a $2,500 phone, 
you could transfer large amounts of data very quickly that you couldn't do on Lightning. So that's its its premium advantage in the iPhone lineup. And so was it about giving what consumers wanted, this change by Apple with the iPhone, or was it, as you mentioned, um, meeting regulatory demands because the European Union said, hey, all phones and tablets must be universally compatible by 2024? Despite the fact that a lot of the comments I see today are about time and finally, I don't think anyone using an Apple iPhone was really desperate for USB-C. It, it was not a thing that was on their radar. So I don't think in any way this was driven by consumers. Um, I think that Apple began to adopt USB-C a few years ago with things like iPads and and Macs, their, their MacBook computers, their laptops. I think that they knew that they needed to go this way, but they were definitely forced. There's no way they wanted to do this uh, in reality. They didn't even mention the European Union at the announcement today here in Cupertino. They simply said, we're moving to USB-C because it's a universally accepted adapter. So I think their hand was forced on this one. Is it just as easy, though, for the consumer as buying a USB-C cable and it's then fully compatible across all devices? Or will consumers still need to be aware of the different speeds and compatible issues? For example, when we see these third-party cables on lightning cables, sometimes they don't necessarily work, right? This is the biggest challenge we have, and we don't really know yet because we haven't tested the the, the new iPhones, but no two USB-C cables are the same. Uh, a cheap $2 cable will definitely connect to your computer, but will it allow the transfer of data? Some USB-C cables are only for power. Some are only for data. So we will have frustrations, I believe, with USB-C going forward. But the cable that comes with your iPhone will work. It will charge. It will plug into a power brick and it will it will charge. If you want those fast data transfer on the premium uh, iPhone 15 Pro Max, you'll need to buy, as they call it, an optional cable, which has what we know as USB 3 speeds, which are the faster speeds. There will be many, many cables sold as a result of this, which essentially goes against the European Union's hope that this is a a way of stopping e-waste. And there will be confusion because a fast power delivery, which Apple hasn't talked about, which is one of the things I'm keen to test, shouldn't be done and probably won't be possible with a cheap, slow and and small cable. So that's a safety issue. We don't want large amounts of uh, power going through a small cable. That's more, more than anything, that's a fire risk. So there's a lot to learn about USB-C still. Two final quick questions. What does this mean for existing iPhones? Existing iPhones, nothing changes. You've already got a cable. Uh, you're not forced to do anything. Keep using your phone, keep using your cable, and nothing really changes. And you said it doesn't necessarily mean um, there's going to be a reduction in e-waste if people are buying more cables, but what do you think it means for competition? I don't, I don't really think this has any impact. I think that's why Apple is not really... They're pretty blasé about this. I think competition-wise, the other companies, uh, Samsung, Oppo is a good example, have amazing things they can talk about like high-speed charging that I don't think consumers have really been banging down the door for. So in reality, I'm not sure this changes anything in the smartphone space other than you've got to get a different cable if you buy a new iPhone. Trevor Long there, the technology expert at EFTM. Now, Market Day on the SBS On The Money podcast. The Australian share market fell today. The S&P ASX 200 down 0.74%, 7,153. I spoke with Francesco Destratus from Audmanet for more. 
Francesco, the ASX having a bit of a tumble today. Why and which stocks or sectors are leading the declines? Yeah, look, we've just followed the US. Our, our market's trading a bit between the NASDAQ and the S&P 500. Uh, it's pretty much across the board, but tech sectors um, the worst, uh, feeling the worst of it, um, similar to the US. Industrials, probably the second biggest falls. Um, there are some bright spots on the market, though. The oil and gas sector, Santos and Woodside are both positive uh, with the oil, oil price rising. Um, going forward, though, look, I don't think there's going to be a huge amount of disruption to the markets. Um, we've got inflation figures out in the US tonight. So, um, you know, I think everyone's sort of a bit nervous that the inflation hasn't come back enough um, and maybe potentially see some rate rises. Yeah, can we go into that in more detail? What exactly is expected with those CPI numbers out of the US tonight and how is it likely to influence investors? Yeah, look, uh, they're expecting an, uh, the annual number to come down to about 3.5%. Um, look, if if and, and the rate of decline of inflation has been quite good, but if that rate of decline starts to slow when we start to see inflation taper off and and settle around the 3% mark, um, that might be okay, but the the Fed Reserve might want to put rates up a little bit more just to bring it back into that 2 to 3% range. Similar to here, you know, we're at about 5% here, and uh, you know, if, if those inflation numbers start to settle around the 4 and 5% level, uh, we can potentially see one to two rate rises here. But at the moment, the market's probably on 10 of hooks, um, and even if there is a bit of a rate cut, uh, sorry, a rate rise. Um, yeah, we expect our market to trade between the 7,000, 7,500 for a little while longer, probably until we start to see the, the, the point where rates have topped out. Um, and then when the market expects those rates to come off, I think we'll start to see the, the market break out of this this range that it's trading in. I know we've come off the um, reporting season period where there was a lot of news and so corporate news has started to peter off a bit. Um, But one company that continues to make headlines is Qantas, um, the airline losing a high court case today, which found it acted unlawfully in sacking 1,700 workers in 2021. There are now calls for the board to go. But what can you tell me about all of that? Those calls for the board to go, I mean, are they coming from investors or shareholders, for example? And what is the investment community thinking about the organisation? Yeah, look, I think those those um, noises, I suppose, of the of the board resigning uh, started coming out when they um, were, were caught uh, selling tickets on on cancelled flights. Um, today, uh, I, I suppose the the the, uh, the unions are the ones calling for the the chairman and the board's heads. Um, obviously, the CEO has already retired. Um, I, I think it's a bit premature at the moment. Um, I wouldn't like to see a significant disruption at the top end of board and management. We're already seeing a new CEO put in place. Um, if you start to make mass changes at the board level, you start to lose a lot of intellectual property at, 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 at that board level. And I wouldn't like to see that happen. I think there's some time needs to, to, to occur before they start to recycle the board there. Um, look, it's going to be a little bit of time before we find out what the fines are, particularly on uh, the, the unlawfulness of, of sacking workers. Um, the, the, the court basically said that they weren't, didn't have to reinstate the workers, uh, but there's definitely going to be some fines. That's probably going to offset some of the cost savings that, that Qantas um, experienced from, from um, outsourcing some of those uh, tasks. So um, I think there's a little bit of time before that occurs. The investment community, look, I think they're sort of 
caught between, yes, we need to do something, but B, we, we don't want to disrupt things too quickly uh, because that could disrupt the ongoing business as well. Personally, look, I've not been a, a long-term investor in airlines. I think there's too many external factors that can, can come into play, um, things like, you know, terrorism and, and, and uh, pandemics uh, all stop people from travelling. So that's going to affect uh, the top line for, for airlines, and I always worry about things that you, airlines don't have control in. Uh, and on the flip side, on the cost side of things, you know, here in Australia particularly, restrictions on, on, on employment and so forth, uh, but also the, the oil price. Yeah, they can hedge it if you know to some degree, but at the same time, you know, higher oil prices increase their costs. So never been a real long-term investor in, in airlines, probably more short-term looking for opportunities. Um, and, let, you know, I'll probably be watching to see how far this share price comes back. Finally, where do you see the opportunities for investors at the moment? Yeah, it's a hard one. As you mentioned earlier, that, that we just come through reporting season, uh, not a lot of news flow post-reporting season. Uh, but I, I think the healthcare sector has been sold off quite heavily, particularly in stocks like ResMed, Ramsey Healthcare and Sonic Healthcare. And I think there's some value for long-term investors in those stocks. Um, you know, ResMed's come off quite a long way, uh, partly because the belief that the uh, um, there is a drug out there for people to lose weight um, will impact upon the use of their CPAP machines. Um, I think that's probably a bit overdone, uh, mainly because um, weight is only one factor involved in sleep apnea. So, so I think that's probably overdoing the the, the sell-off in ResMed. So there's opportunities there, um, and in the small cap sector, surprisingly, there are some 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 stocks that have been mispriced. I think uh, in in the short term because most people are probably a bit too worried about the risks in the small to mid cap end of the market. I won't go into names because uh, I don't want to sort of have people sort of going outside their risk profiles. But um, yeah, there are some really good opportunities in the small mid cap sector at the moment. Francesco Destratus there from Audmanet. This SBS on the Money stream is provided for informational purposes only. The content in this stream should not be understood as constituting advice or a recommendation. It is not personal advice and it does not consider your personal circumstances or objectives. You should contact a licensed professional before making any financial decision. This SBS On The Money podcast is provided for informational purposes only. The content on this podcast should not be understood as constituting advice or a recommendation. It is not personal advice and does not consider your personal circumstances or objectives. You should contact a licensed professional before making any financial decision.